since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, happy Friday. Welcome to our special episode of the Real Sober Mom Chats. It's like the Real Housewives, but without the booze and the bad drama and the fillers. <laughs> How's that? I have heard so much feedback about the sober moms. You guys love the stories from real moms who are in it, who are figuring out, who are maybe sober curious. They're talking about their journeys, and that's what this is. We are bringing you moms from the Sober Mom Life Cafe. All of these moms connect over there 
if you want to come and join us, it's $15 a month. And you get, first of all, you get to sign up to share your story on the Real Sober Mom chat. And I am just opening up my September calendar. So that link to join the cafe is in the show notes. You also get weekly Zoom meetings. You get Discord chat where you can chat with moms just like you all day long. Book club. You get bonus podcast episodes. It's just a huge party over there. Come and join us. And I know you will enjoy this episode of the Real Sober Mom Chats. Amanda, welcome to the Sober Mom Life Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. When I saw your name on the list, it was like I was I've been looking forward to this talk because you have been a constant presence. When did you start coming to the meetings? Probably I it was this year at some point. Yeah, but I've been listening since October. And once I started listening and then I started following you, I was posting a lot on Facebook. So I was doing that and then Patreon came. And so I was like sitting with it, sitting with it. And I feel like it was like January or February. I decided, okay, I need to be more involved than just posting on Facebook because I wanted people, right? Um, and so, so yeah. Right. But I feel like it's been a minute, but I feel like it was just yesterday all at the same time. Yeah. Oh my God, I know. Time is like not real. I don't understand time. Time, it, it feels like I've been doing this my whole life and then it feels like I just started it yesterday. So I don't understand. I'm excited to dive into your story because I know, you know, from what you've shared in the meetings, I know some stuff, but I don't know your whole story. So let's go back and talk about alcohol and your relationship with it. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. It's always the, okay, okay, we got to go back. I know. And because I've listened, I've been going back, like, since I signed up. <laughs> like, you know, just going back and really trying to understand. I know we never get a full understanding, but, like, see where it started with me. And when I start doing that, it's really, it's really crazy because I have kids that are past that age. And, you know, and I feel like I don't know what I would have done as a mom had they started drinking as early as I did. And so that part for me has been like, wow, because it's been a long relationship. I think I had my first drink, I think it was in fifth grade. Wow. So fifth grade, how old are you then? Are you like 11? I just remember being at a birthday party. So I just, I sit with that. Like, I remember the birthday party. I remember the parents putting it out there. Wow. I remember us being able to drink it. Like, it was a cool thing. You know, it was this, the parents were cool. We were cool. And the only reason why I remember fifth grade, because a birthday party I went to, I feel like that me and the girls stopped hanging out. And so that was like my last could have been sixth grade, but it was young. Like it wasn't high school. It was grade school. It was with the parents' blessing. They were the ones who provided it, which had to be so confusing then. It was okay for you to do. It was with their blessing. Like that is very confusing for a little 11, 12 year old. Right. And I knew like 
at that time, you know, my dad had stopped drinking and so I knew it was bad, but I didn't know why it was bad. But I knew the parents were allowing us and I knew we could do it. And so I just, I've been sitting with that for, you know, like I said, since I signed up. Yeah. And I just can't even wrap my brain around it. Totally. The more I think about it, like just parents being okay. And it was a different time, right? Doesn't make it right. But it was such a different time. And it was, I don't even know how to explain it. Because as a mom, I would never do that. Right. But I'm trying to give grace to them the little bit I can thinking, I think parents at that time are like, well, it's not a big deal. Like, oh, they're having fun. It's a good time. They'll be okay. They're home. Like they're here. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, it's so funny because I remember like me as a sixth grader, like you feel like you're old, right? Because it's the oldest you've ever been. And so you're like, yeah, like I'm old. Like, and when you look back now, like you're so little, like 11, 12, fifth or sixth grade, you're so little. So little. And I have an eight-year-old. So it's like, I, that's what I put in perspective. Who's a third grader. And I feel like, okay, so in three years, he would have his first drink. Like what? Like, wow. Like It's just mind-blowing, right? Yeah. And soon after that, I smoked my first cigarette. And that's kind of a part of my journey, you know, like I feel like I always want to talk about because there was so much shame. There was never shame in drinking, but there was always shame in smoking, right? There came a certain time where it was kind of like, what? You smoke? And so that's part of my whole journey is like understanding that they're both bad. They were both not good for me. And I was telling myself, well, you know, if I hit this, but I'm okay to show, I hit the smoking, but the drinking, like, we all do it. Like, that's okay. But I had to hide that. I, I had to not tell people I smoked. So I did that very young as well. And so throughout like seventh or eighth grade, it wasn't like we were partying or drinking. There was just that one time. But then once high school hit, um, starting my freshman year, you know, I was drinking probably every weekend. And my parents were strict. And I think a lot had to do with, you know, because my dad quit drinking, you know, and he was going through his stuff, but they were really like holding on to me. And that's just what they tried to do. And so I would sneak out a lot, like a lot. And I would sneak out. I would go hang out with people and we would drink and get drunk. And then I would come home, sneak back in my house. And the next day have to act like everything was okay, you know, and Again, ninth grade, like I'm thinking. Still a baby. Still a baby. I was leaving my home. I was running down the street in the middle of the night. Yeah, hiding. Hiding. Right, hiding it all. Yeah. And what was the conversation with your dad, like with alcohol? Did you guys talk about your dad stopping drinking or it was just kind of like he stopped, he was on his own journey, not sharing it. That was probably the AA days too, right? Of like, don't talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So when my dad stopped drinking, I was 10. And I knew, you know, we just knew one day dad was drinking and one day he wasn't. But then it was, you couldn't really talk about it. Like you couldn't say anything because he did do 12 steps. And so from that point to way later in my life, you were raised 
you didn't speak of it. You didn't tell people. And that was his journey. And that was his story to tell, which I understand that part. But it was also very hush-hush, very just, yeah, my dad doesn't drink. End of story. Like, Yes. It was more like something that we should be ashamed about, right? Yeah. Exactly. So I just, I never fully got that. And Hispanic, and I'm sure this is in many cultures and in many families, but for us, you know, it's kind of like, you don't talk about everything outside the family circle. Like, mm. So it's like a loyalty thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so it wasn't like you would go around sharing things or telling it. Not that I would have. It's not like I was going around at that age telling everybody, oh, my dad's an A, my dad's an A. But it just kept getting pushed down, pushed down. And so we just, yeah, it, it wasn't ever my dad would, ne you know, sit us down and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. This, yeah, no conversations like that. But I would see him be challenged through what he had to do, like, now stopping, and I have read some 12-step books and stuff, and not necessarily to go through them, but to understand it and to try to see what it was about. I can play back in my brain why we were doing some of the things we were doing and why, you know, there were certain parts of my life like, oh, that makes sense now. Like, you know, he started going to church a lot. He started, which is great. But we went from never doing it to then all in. Doing it. And then no one's talking. And, and you're just sitting there like in the passenger seat being like, okay, I guess this is what we do now, right? Exactly. I don't know why dad stopped drinking. I don't know what this is about, but I guess this is, yeah, that's, it's confusing. Yeah. It was just like my life just completely flipped, but it was just, yeah, never explained. And so then once I got into high school, and I think they pulled the reins in more. And I, you know, I, I, I think it had to do with a lot of stuff. But ultimately, it was because I think maybe being scared of where I would go or, or just trying to be a parent or just, I, I don't know, I can't speak for them. But once all this stuff started changing and I was sneaking out, I was drinking and, or if I spent the night at someone's home, like we were sneaking out and we were drinking and it was just a constant battle, I think, inside me. Cause I was like, okay, my dad doesn't drink. My mother doesn't drink. I know this is bad, but I want to drink cause I want to fit in and I want to have fun. Yeah. And it seems fun. Yeah. yeah, it seems like a great time. And we did. We had a great time, you know, but it was just always this tug of war of like, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And so, right. and then, you know, throughout high school, I just started doing more. I was smoking more. I was drinking more. Did, you know, soft drugs. There was always some form of drug <laughs> in my system and in my life for that full four years in high school. And I had to keep it a secret. Yeah. And I had to just try my best to hide it because if it came out, I knew I'd get in trouble. Try my best to hide it because I knew my parents totally didn't, would never approve of it for multiple reasons. And then just hide it because I didn't have a problem. And I'm sure I didn't. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's my dad's problem. This isn't me. So I don't... It can't come into the light. Right. Well, 
And and you're taught not to talk about it too, right? And the thing about not talking about stuff and hiding and feeling like you have to hide it is like that is where the shame lives, right? So it had to feel like the shameful thing that you had to hide, but it's also fun and also everyone's doing it and you want to fit in. So I'm sure that like tug of war was so, so difficult. And at such a young age, trying to navigate all of that, it seems impossible. I don't think I realized how internally I've always had that until now, until everything's fully out of my system that I've sat down and I've tried to do the work. I'm not speaking with a therapist, but I'm trying to do, you know, the things I've learned that I've just, I've always had this battle inside of right, wrong, right, wrong. Do I do it? Don't I do it? And I think for the longest time, alcohol just quieted that. And Mm -hmm. I, I did not know. I just, I didn't know. And so even... The older I got, it was obvious then at some point I could be like, okay, I drink. (laughs) Like, oh, now I can talk about it because it's legal or now it's accepted, you know? And and then we still didn't talk about it. (laughs) We still didn't. You didn't. Yeah. No, like have a real conversation. It was just like, just slide into the position and (laughs) keep it moving, you know? Yes. Which is like, yeah, that mirrors society, right? Like we we don't talk about it. It's very easy not to talk about alcohol and what it is, what it does, right? Like, it's just like, okay, no one talks about this. Let's just keep it moving. Everybody drinks it. It's highly encouraged and good. We're good to go. (laughs) Right. And I think because I knew the one thing they did say, if they were going to say anything is like, you can't drink in this house until you're 21. Like that was it, right? Yeah. So I just knew, okay, well, if I don't talk about it, then what do they know? But I'm sure, you know, once I'm 19, 18, they, they, you know, figured out. But yeah, it was just a lot of silence and just a lot of just keeping quiet and just not having true discussions about a lot of things. And then internally struggling, Mm -hmm. right? And like quietly. And then, yeah, that's so hard. I didn't realize like that part of the relationship between me and my parents, how, how much it affected me now and I'm not I I love my parents and I you know I feel like we have to say that but just the not being able to talk and quieting and just kind of pushing everything down had its toll on me and yeah I can talk to my mother now and yeah we have conversations now but I'm 45 (laughs) you know and right those conversations weren't really had when I was younger and I I don't know if it was because of what she was having to deal with with my dad too you know they had their own stuff they had their own things and my dad had his own struggles and so it was just yeah alcohol has always been a part of my life and the shame with it and just the not really being able to grasp what it could do to me too I just knew okay if you drink too much you're gonna have to do 12 steps Like, that's the next step. And we talk about that a lot, right? It's like, okay. So, yeah. Well, and it's interesting, you know, alcohol, I think in like our generation in the Gen X, you know, the kind of like tough love and before therapy, there wasn't like, I don't know, it wasn't as talked about. Mental health was just not a focus in the 80s and 90s, right? It wasn't 
it wasn't a thing. And so when you have parents who aren't talking about what's going on and like talking honestly about feelings and how everything's affecting the kids and whatever, alcohol comes in handy. Like it comes in handy for the kids not to then not to feel the things that we're feeling and to be like, oh, okay, this is way better because feeling all of this shit and all the turmoil and the battle inside is it's exhausting and scary and feeling nothing is a welcome feeling and alcohol does that. For me, you know, when I stop drinking and all these emotions come up, I feel like, wow, I've always been emotional. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I am emotional. Right. Right. I do have emotions. Yes. They're real feelings. Yes. And so I know now just because what I have figured out and read that I was probably really emotional as a kid and it probably did help me just calm that down. And I I just had no idea. You know, I hear some stories where people say, oh, the first step I knew. And I can't say that, but I can say knowing who I am and knowing how I grew up, it probably just calmed me down to where I didn't have to feel sad or upset or missing, you know, maybe the relationship with my parents or whatever, you know, there was probably some truth to that and why I took to it the way I took to it. And so did I know I would end up here? Absolutely not. You know, right. But there was probably some truth to feeling like, oh, I can handle this. Okay. I don't have to feel that anymore. Because then once I graduated, I didn't go to college. And so I went straight to work. And then when I went straight to work, I was working with people, you know, like in their 20s, mid 20s, like 30s. So all these people had life experience. And I was just like, be bopping out of high school. And they just like took me under the wing and like, let me show you how to really party. Like, <laughs> yes, totally. Come with us, little one. And I'll, I'll show you what it's about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me show you my ways. Yeah, exactly. And so then it, again, it was like, woo, people love me. People want me around. Mm. And I still don't have to feel like I don't belong or like I'm not in the right place because these people want me and they love me and they're handing me alcohol. And we're just having a great time bonding, (laughs) you know, and just kept moving. Like it just, it just kept going. It just did not stop. And so that's a lot of years in that formative, right? We talk about that in those formative years of just learning how to drink and socialize and have fun with it. I guess if you called it fun. I mean, you didn't feel as bad as you feel now, right? So so it was fun. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like in our 20s, like it's a totally different for me too. It's a totally different story. My drinking in my 20s in the party girl era. And and, and I look back at that now as it was fun. It was also very dangerous. And, you know, how did I make it out? And, And all of that. But I do think it's it felt like a different thing doing that in my 20s and then motherhood. It's just a different thing. So I grew up in Texas and then my family decides I graduated, left the house, left my small town, moved to Austin, and I was living in Austin, having a great time. And then my family decides they're up and moving when I was 18, about to be 19. And I had never left Texas. Like 
Mm. I think I left the state twice in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, like you just, you don't do that <laughs> when you grow up in a small town, right? And so then I moved with my family and then we moved to Utah and we moved to Salt Lake. Oh, wow. And so here I was, you know, 19. And then all of a sudden I'm like transplanted into this world of completely different way of living. Like totally. I just had no idea. Like I had no idea it was going to be that big of a difference. So when I moved, I was drinking a lot and then I get transplanted to Salt Lake City and then I'm surrounded by people who don't drink. Right. Because I'm thinking of, of course, we think Mormons, we think they don't drink, right? We think predominantly white, right? (laughs) Exactly. And so my dad gets transferred. I get dropped. I feel like, you know, I get dropped there where I feel like, one, I'm not white. (laughs) And two, I drink, I smoke, I party, and I do all these things that are pretty much outcasted there. And because I'm not white, it's not that I'm outcasted, but I'm you you're looked at different. And I, mm. I don't like to play that card. And I, I'm not trying to say that it was just different for me. It was hard for me because growing up in Texas, especially South Texas, everyone looked like me, <laughs> you know, and, and we went to school with everybody. You just didn't feel that. I never felt out of place. I never felt like I stood out. And so once that happened, I felt like I stood out and I felt like, oh, wow, there are different people out there that look at me and they don't respect me or they can't. They've just never seen someone who, this sounds so bad and it's just hard as a Hispanic woman. No, it's okay. It's your story. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I spoke English, like I didn't speak Spanish. I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. I didn't grow up learning Spanish. And so I go there and then I was asked, you know, do I speak English? Do I read English? And I'm asked all these things that it's just mind blowing to me that people think like that. Just by the first look of me, that's your perception of me. I just had never been, I wasn't raised like that. And it just wasn't where I came from. Yeah, that had to be so shocking and confusing. And and you're like, now I have to, now I live here? <laughs> I'm not just visiting, I'm living here. Like I have to make my life here? Right. I told myself, okay, six months. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to do this six months. Like get out of Texas for a minute because I can and just kind of enjoy it. It's beautiful there, obviously. But, and just deal with people, but enjoy my time here. Well, I ended up there for four years, but... What helped me is then, so I got a job and I started working. Well, then I started meeting people that actually weren't Mormon or who had left the church. You know, they just didn't have any part of that because it was kind of like, okay, either you're Mormon or you're not. Either you're white or you're not, right? There's just no in between. Mm, Yeah. And so these people, okay, so they left the church or they weren't Mormon. And what do they like to do? They like to drink. (laughs) <laughs> they like to smoke and they like to party. And so I was like, eh, and we're veering off and yeah, found my people. <laughs> found my people. Yeah. And let's just pick up where we left off. <laughs> and so that's what we did, right? So then here I am, 1920-ish. I found people who like to party. I found people who like to smoke. And we just started doing it all over again. 
and I actually got a fake ID there. And you went to the divey bars because that's where the rest of the people who weren't Mormon or, (laughs) you know, were outcasted. That's where they went. So that's where we went and we had the best time. And then um, I got a different job and it was just like, I just kept working. Then my next job, I worked with even older people. They were like in their 30s, 40s, even 50s. And they loved me. Then again, life of the party. Here's Amanda. And they loved me because I was different, because I looked different, because I came from somewhere else. And they accepted me. Mm. And they just took me into their, you know, again, under the wing. Come on, let's go. And I mean, that was like 90s office. I just can't, like working in the office in the late 90s where sexual harassment was still going on. Mm, Yeah. You went to happy hour like twice a week, three times a week. It was just a world that I didn't even know existed. Like we had a countdown on like the office cubicle of my 21st birthday. They all like pitched in, we're taking you to Vegas. They pitched in, flew me to Vegas for my 21st birthday. Yeah, they love Oh my God. Like, yeah. And I, I don't say that, but I say that because then I felt accepted, right? Yeah, totally. I felt accepted and I felt loved. And what did we do? We partied. I just feel like when I talk about my relationship with alcohol, I can't get over how many years of it. <laughs> it it yeah. truly was. You know, I think that's common that when we stop and we get our feet under us in sobriety and kind of feel how great it feels and like all of these things, you kind of work out the kinks and then you can't help but look back and say like, oh God, why did this take me so long? I think that's just a natural thing to do. And like, what? Wow, I lost how many years to alcohol. But like without all of this story, right, this is just a part of the story and has led you to then stopping drinking. And that is all a part of it. And of course, at that time, I'm still young enough to recoup. Right. It's not like you're 40 and and a hangover lasts three days. (laughs) Right. I'm just bouncing back. (laughs) Totally. I'm bouncing back. Same, you know, next day I'm bouncing back. And so, you know, I did that for a while. And then that's where I actually met my husband. And we met in like mutual friend groups because we both party. <laughs> so, you know, we would, we, that's, we would just like travel in packs, the company, you know, together, we all work together. And so I met my husband and then we ended up leaving Salt Lake City and then we moved to Arizona. Well, then you go to Arizona and that's like normal drinking, normal drinking laws. They sell it In grocery stores. Back to, yeah. Gas stations, like you can just get it everywhere, right? There's real happy hour, like two for one stuff. Like, so like not, you had to like finish one before you can get the other. That's Salt Lake City, right? And so you didn't have to order food because in Salt Lake you had to order food. So you didn't have to order food. So we could just do it. And so, yeah, so we ended up in Phoenix and I had to leave all my people even though I love Texas, but I think when I love Texas, going to Salt Lake, I was like at the age where I'm like, okay, I need to go because I'm never going to do this. And I need to see something different. And there were friends from high school, right? And so this group were like people I cultivated relationships with. So then I had to leave them. 
Mm-hmm. So when we go to Phoenix, again, we just jump right back into it, find the people we work with, and we start all over. We ended up getting married and we get married. And then by our one year anniversary, I was already, I was six months pregnant. So we got pregnant right away. You know, we got married when I was 23. Yeah, I was 23, 24, because I had my first kid at 25, my first boy. So obviously stopped drinking during pregnancy and it was great. Everything was awesome until we had to move again. And at this point I was nine months pregnant. Yeah. So we had to pick up relationships I cultivated. I had to leave them and we actually moved back to Texas, but we moved up to the panhandle. And so I didn't have family up there or anything. And still Texas obviously is pretty big. So it's a lot of traveling, you know, it's like, like eight hours, seven hours from where I'm from. So we moved to Lubbock and then I have my son, but I was already nine months pregnant, like eight and a half months, like cuspy nine months. Yes. Yeah. That's rough. Yes. I had to find a doctor. We had to find a house, all the things, right? So I'm dropped into Lubbock. I didn't know anybody. Here I was pregnant and just pop out a kid. But my mother and father would come and visit us. So I ended up having our firstborn. And I breastfed for a year, so I didn't drink. Oh, wow, that whole year then? That whole year. Wow. And I was really like, okay, I'm doing this right. I'm not going to drink. I can't do that. You always say your first one, you know, it's a starter kid. and, and you Ooh, do All that <laughs> pressure, right? You're, you yes. think like one wrong move and you're going to screw them up for life, right? That's what I thought. It was so much pressure. Yes. 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 And I thought, okay, I, I had a natural childbirth. I'm going to breastfeed. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to smoke. I'm going to do everything right. So I stopped breastfeeding. And then I was like, what? So, okay. Right. You're like, I'm free. I, I'm free. Let's do it. What are we waiting for? <laughs> it's time. And I picked up right where we left off. It, there was no like easy into it. Yes. Isn't it interesting that when you stop drinking, when you take that break, whether it's for pregnancy or breastfeeding or just dry July or whatever, is that when you go back to it, you pick up where you left off. You don't start over. Yes. And that's why I say I'm staying sober because I want to and because I'm doing the work. But the thought, of where it, it, that is a huge part of my why, because that part terrifies me because I couldn't imagine being back to when I stopped. I just, I can't. And that's the trick is we think that then, okay, well, we've had this time away. Like you've been sober how long now? Nine months. I mean. Going on 10. I know. Oh my, Amanda. I know. It's huge. That's huge. And all of that stuff, you you know, this is the game that we play. And we've talked about this in group before, too, is, is like, it's the game of thinking, well, okay, see, I can do this. Like, look, I've done it. And now, you know, maybe I don't need to do something so quote unquote drastic. And I could just go back and like ease into it. And that's just the lie. Because we don't, we don't do that. No. And, you know, that's kind of where my dad comes in because he's been sober for so long. You know, it happened when I was 10. So you're talking over 30 years, he's been sober. And so even though we don't talk about it. So you still don't. So you still don't talk about it. I still haven't even talked to him. Wow. I just told my mother, like probably about two months ago. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean, it makes it makes sense, right? It's like that was ingrained in you that the, that you don't talk about it. Right. Today, I, I reached out to my brother and I'm like, so I'm doing this podcast and this is what I'm feeling. And I'm scared because I'm sharing that part of my life because it's such a huge part of my why and my reasoning and what led me here. But I'm still kind of scared to say it. I'm still kind of scared to say my dad's sober and it's, there's no reason to be shameful about it. And I know that logically, but I just, I've always been told you can't tell other people's story. You can't. Right, right. You you don't share other people's stories. I had that conversation and my brother's like, well, you're not, you're not saying much. You're okay. <laughs> like he had to calm me down. Right. I mean, good for you for reaching out to him and saying like, hey, I'm scared. I feel I want to do this, but I'm scared. And the fact is that, you know, the line between like our story and our parents' story is very blurry (laughs) because like your dad's story, that part of your story and what you're sharing is how it affected you, right? You're not talking about, you're not sharing his story and what he went through, but you're sharing how his story affects you because that's the thing is our parents' story affects us because we're a part of it and we have to live through it and we have to live through it when we don't know what the hell's going on. Mm -hmm. And so we can only make sense of it then in retrospect as an adult, you know, thinking about what we went through as kids. And so, I I mean, I'm proud of you and and you know that anything that you want to cut out of this, we can. If you leave this and you say, oh, I feel too exposed or whatever, we can cut whatever. But I'm proud of you for sharing your story because I think that, yeah, that's when we do shed the shame and there is nothing to be ashamed about in all of it. No, so yesterday I woke up and I was 300 days without smoking. Wow. Yeah. And also the fact that you're doing cigarettes and alcohol. I mean, that's, you're such a badass. That's incredible. (laughs) It's taken me a long time. It's taken, (laughs) it's forever. I just feel like... I have three kids, so right? So I stopped smoking, obviously with each of them, but that even scares me as well. Because this last stint of me smoking started right before COVID. And then once COVID hit and we were home and it was just like smoke fest, drink fest. <laughs> like, yeah, so everything ramped up during COVID, which you're not alone in that. Like that's generally what happened. Yeah. I know. And I think about that. Like I think about, when I hear just not sober mom stories, but just other podcasts, there's always a COVID segment. I feel like I feel like now it's time for a COVID segment because (laughs) (laughs) yeah, let's talk about when shit hit the fan. And we all went through that. I know my drinking was bad, you know, from my first kid. And then I start drinking. And then I remember when I found out I was pregnant with my middle child, like we were on our way out the door to a party and I didn't feel right. And I thought I should probably take a pregnancy test. And I took it and I was pregnant. I remember going to that party being pissed off because I was like, we had a party. We were going to party. <laughs> like I had plans yeah. today. Yeah. I'd re- and, and I just stopped. It came out positive and I stopped. And there was no gray area. There was no feeling of, well, it's still kind of early, maybe. No, I, right. We talk like, yeah, I did that for my child, my future child. 
So I'm bypassing a lot. That's okay. Moving is a huge part, too, of my story because we moved from Lubbock, then we moved back to Austin, then we moved back to Arizona, then we moved to Oregon, then we moved out of country. Oh, wow. And so there was a lot of stopping and starting friendships, and there was a lot of stopping, starting relationships. And now looking back, I didn't realize how much that truly affected me because I was constantly starting over and I was constantly meeting new people, which is great. Yes. But just when you're starting building that relationship, it was just like ripped out from me. That's how I always felt. Right. Then I would go to a new place. Then I would start building relationships always around drinking, always around smoking, you know, and then it would be ripped out. Yeah. And I didn't realize how truly traumatic, you know, that was for me and that really feeling connected to people for more than a year or two. I just, I didn't have them. So when we moved, we moved out of the country and when we moved back, especially when we lived out of the country, you know, we had help. I had a nanny and I had a driver, which sounds crazy. And I can't believe that was my life. But, and I had all these things so we could party, right? So you mean we can drink at 12 to like four and our nanny will watch our children and a driver will drive me home. Like I can do this type of thing. And they're like, yeah, of course you can. And so living out of the country, it ramped up pretty bad as well because that was constant. And a whole different way of life than I had never experienced. I didn't know people did that. I I didn't know that was going to ever be part of my journey or our life, you know? And so, and my kids were young at the time. They were like eight and three, my, my boy, my girl. And I think I felt like they're young enough to not see mom as drunk as she was or, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, they won't remembered this part of staying with the nanny more times than she probably should have because I was out. You know, I just, I never gave them enough credit and I never gave myself a time to think, what could this do to them or what is this doing to them or what am I taking away from them or myself? Mm -hmm. And I look back and I'm, I'm really regretful for a lot of that, to be honest, because It was a lot of time and it was just such an experience that I can't get back. Not that I'm shameful of it, but it just makes me sad. I think this is often a mother's challenge of like feeling regretful for time lost and whatever alcohol has stolen. And I hope that you can love yourself through that and give yourself compassion for that period of time and and through the mother you are today, you know, and and now that you're not letting alcohol get in between you and those moments and that it's never too late, you know, it's just never too late. Yeah. Not drinking was never in my plan, right? I didn't even know moderation was a thing until right before I stopped drinking and I was trying to moderate. I feel like where, how I got from being the party girl, the party mom, because I drank through my all of my kids' lives. Like I found other moms to do it with. And I love them, you know, and I'm not 
But that's just what we did. (laughs) That's what we did. Yeah. And so I never thought, oh, I don't need to drink or, oh, I need to stop or, oh, I need to cut down. That was just never that, you know? And so when I started towards the end of my drinking career, right, it was feeling like I am unmanageable. And for me, that was really mind-blowing because I knew it was getting there. Like I'd already started feeling it started affecting me mentally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel steady. I didn't feel okay in my own skin. Like I always felt like an imposter because, you know, I felt like everything I was doing was almost fake, but I know it wasn't fake. But I just had that back and forth again of, am I being a good mom? Am I not being a good mom? What am I doing? Am I embarrassing my kids? Am I not embarrassing my kids? Are they having fun? Are they not? You know, and just on and on. And just the confidence in myself was completely just shattered. And until I was on the other side of that, I didn't realize that's what was going on. Mm, Yes. I think that that's the thing. Until you're on the other side, like until you're sitting where you are right now, you don't know that you're in this and that alcohol is doing this and that there's a way out. You just think that you have to make it work somehow and that you're failing at making this work. Yes. I felt like waking up at 3 a.m. was my fault. I felt like having shakes was my fault. I felt like breaking down emotionally was my fault. Like all of these things that were happening in my life at the very end, I felt like it was something I was doing to myself. Like I was involving myself too much in in my daughter's life, or I was involving myself in feeling for her, or it was just always my fault. And I know that also stems from my childhood. You know, it was just a lot of it that just all came together, bumbling up. And it was a complete disaster controllably. Like I could not keep it together. And I felt just, I don't want to say hopeless because it wasn't hopeless, but it was just, how do I make this right? How do I stop? You know? And, um, When I finally Mm. decided to come to an end, it was after uh, a night of drinking very, very heavily. It was an all-day thing. Like, we'd started at 11, ended at 8. Going, going, going. And it was something that had happened one too many times. Mm -hmm. And I just woke up the next day thinking... I just can't, I just can't do it anymore. And it was almost like that moment when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, I just said, I just, I can't do it. And I just stopped. And yes, like the months before I thought, okay, maybe it was only two months there that I thought, okay, I'm only going to drink once a week or once a month on a weekend. Right. But that was only two months. That was like August and September. By September, I'd already drank three times, so it didn't even last. And then October 2nd, I just woke up and said, I just, I can't. Wow. It was 
really scary. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know what I was going to do. I always knew 12 steps was there, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I guess I can do that. Do I want to do that? Do I need to do that? And then I actually just Googled sober moms. Like I'm not, (laughs) and I found you. And, you know, it sounds like so simple, but it, it was like, I didn't, that's all I had. And I found your podcast. So I feel like that was like the week, like I stopped and then I had that whole week and then I Googled and then I found you. And oh, I don't know. And here I am. And here you are. That's incredible. I mean, I'm so grateful for you sharing your story and being vulnerable and especially when you were taught so long not to share and now sharing. And you're always such a, you're just always such a calming presence in our groups. And you really come so openly and vulnerably and like ready to share and support. And you're just such an important part of our group. I'm honored that you, that you chose to share your story. And I know that it will help so many moms. Yeah, who haven't known that taking alcohol out of their lives is even possible, right? And who maybe didn't even think about it until they did it or just for a couple of months and then realized that taking it out completely is so much easier than that ongoing battle. You know, I didn't even know like sober October was a thing. Mm-hmm. Like I knew dry January was a thing, right? And I had no idea sober October and I remember thinking, like, oh, are people going to think I'm just trying to do this over October? Like, oh, I'm just in a challenge. And Right. But I didn't tell anybody. Like, I told my husband, and that was it. I think I told one family member because I was so, what are people going to think? And that's such a part of so many, so many women's journey. It's like, what are people going to think? And so I think even if you don't have 12 steps in your life, like, there's still shame in it. Like, even if, if you have no idea and you didn't have anybody in eight, there's still so much shame in it. And I just, yes, I don't get it. Like, I don't. I know that we've been taught that if, if we're not going to drink alcohol, that there's shame in that. And that's just a lie. It's just, that's the lie that there's, there's not, there's freedom and light. And well, and sometimes I feel like I always joke, I was that drunk person who would overshare. <laughs> like, yes, I love telling people my story. Me too. And then just bouncing after, like, I'm just gonna tell you my story. And like, what's your name again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. I'm gone. Yes. I hope we could be friends. Maybe, maybe not. I don't even know. But let me let me tell you my life story. Yeah. And now I'm so much more like aware of what I say. And I think at the beginning, even in in the group, like I would say a lot and I'm really trying to practice, not because I don't want to share, but just in general, like, okay, maybe that's something I need to work on. Maybe that's something holding back a little for myself. Right, right, right. For yourself. And not always having to share everything. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm I'm I do that too. I overshare. I still I thought it was like a drunk thing and I'm learning like no, I just really actually overshare everything. And I'm, you know, I I'm I'm the same way. I'm like, okay, maybe maybe pull back a little <laughs> and then I <laughs> then I don't and then 
I think it's a desire to connect though too, right? Mm -hmm. It's a bid for connection. And we really find that in sobriety when we think that alcohol was the way to connect and it's just not like we connect so much better in sobriety. I just want to thank you and thank you for all your support and for what you do for all of us as a whole. I know we all say it because I know we all feel the same, right? Mm. And if I didn't listen to your podcast at the beginning and you weren't so real and you cussed and you talked about Bravo <laughs> and you did all these things that I loved, I was like, yeah. oh, so I can be sober and still cuss, still love Bravo. <laughs> like yeah. I can still do all these things and not tear myself up. Let's do this. And so... I just appreciate you so much and mm. I know we all do and we all love you. Oh my God. Oh, I adore you. Thank you. You're going to make me cry. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I, I just get to, I pinch myself that I, that I can do this and then I get to connect with wonderful women like you. Like I just, it's my favorite. And now when are we going to go on a retreat so we can meet each other in real life? That's the, that's oh, the goal. I know. <laughs> I am just waiting. I'm like, put it together. <laughs> put it together, please. I know. I know. We're working on it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Yes. Austin's really cool. That'd be, I could, I could show y'all cool things. We come to Austin. Yes. I feel like there's only two of us. Or there's probably more, right? Yeah. But yeah. I feel like I'm on, my Texas is big. I need yeah. some ladies in Texas. So if there's totally. anyone <laughs> comes up. Okay. Okay. Amanda wants ladies in Texas, you guys. Reach out to me and I'll put you in contact with her. Yes, we're going to do it. Oh my God, Amanda, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay. I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.